Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and still less ukulele. Until either I learn how to play or Denny gets off his butt and plays us a new theme song. On this episode, we're going to explore the unstoppable IPA, but from the point of view of a competition. So every year, there's the American Homebrewers Association National Homebrew Competition, and well, we sponsored the American IPA category this year. So on this episode, we're going to sit down with the winner of the second place, Ketchin Smith of Escondido, California, and first place winner, Chase Wilson of Nashville, and get their secrets to an award-winning IPA. But first, a word from our sponsors. Do you own a copy of John Palmer's How to Brew? If so, you know it's one of those truly indispensable resources for brewers. Well, it's time to replace that old dog-eared copy, because our friends at Brewers Publications have just published the fourth edition of How to Brew, and it's a totally new book. The new How to Brew clocks in at 600 pages, and every chapter has been updated and expanded, and there are five totally new chapters to boot. So grab your copy at your preferred beer book vendor, or buy it from the Brewers Association store if you want to get the book and support craft breweries at the same time. More info at brewerspublications.com. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Well, hey, welcome again to the Brew Files. Uh, this is our IPA show where we're talking to winners of the National Homebrewers Competitions in the IPA category, which was oddly enough sponsored by Experimental Brewing. On the line, we have uh, Ketchin Smith. Ketchin, say hi to everybody. Hi, how's it going? Well, we're talking about beer, so it can't be going that bad, right? <laughs> and we're just not drinking it yet. Well, we'll get there. All right. So, uh, Ketchin, just to uh, set the stage for everybody, you entered the IPA category in the American National Homebrew Competition, and you placed, I think, second place in the Indianapolis first round, and overall came in second uh, out of an ungawful number of entries in the U.S. You, you might be something of a ringer because you're down in San Diego, the area that tried to rename the IPA San Diego Pale Ale. You all right? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a great haven for IPAs over here. To catch people up on your story, how did you get started brewing? You know, what drove you to become an obsessive enough to enter a competition and win? 
So uh, I got my start uh, when my brother bought me a uh, starter kit um, for Christmas one year, and uh, I started on our little um, stove in our kitchen. And eventually, um, uh, one day I had an explosion in a spare bedroom, and the uh, wife was not very happy about that. She <laughs> said I had to move my operations outside, and I used that opportunity to garner new equipment, the growth of my homebrew uh, experience uh, w- was just beginning at that point. Not uncommon uh, sort of story. I wonder how many brewers have been forced out of the house for after making a mess. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, so now since you live in San Diego and we talked about San Diego and IPAs, I, I assume that one, you've been exposed to a lot of IPA and that Due to that exposure, you've come up with sort of what you truly believe should be in an IPA and how to construct an IPA. Do I have that right? Yes. I mean, it's an amazing place to enjoy uh, IPAs um, and become now nice friends uh, with the community of brewers and everyone is striving, you know, for the ultimate San Diego IPA. And there's quite a bit of competition here. So, Everyone does like, though, to work together, and I really appreciate that with the community down here. Do you have a favorite commercial IPA uh, available in San Diego? I would say one of my favorites is coming out of Bergen Beer Company, new new guys out of Carlsbad. They have um, this one called Trivana. It's a very juicy IPA, and they're doing some great stuff. But it's hard. There's a lot of really good ones. I couldn't say that they're way above and beyond the others. There's so many good ones. So it's a good problem to have. <laughs> yep. Not, uh, not, yeah, not too shabby a, a thing to have to deal with. So when you stop and you think about an IPA, what is it that you're wanting? Um, I've been a hophead for a long time, so I'm, I'm really looking for that big punch. I want the bulb in the background. I want especially these nice, juicy hops I'm really enjoying and I love that there's new ones coming out all the time and they're pushing the envelope on your uh, bitter taste buds and stuff. So I'm, I really uh, just try to get that hot forward, really juicy. Almost some people don't even like IPAs, but they like my IPAs. So it's it's a it's almost a combination of a fruity beer if 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 you go by you know just description. Where do you stand on the philosophy of? Uh, you said that you want the malt in the background. So where do you stand on the issue of caramel malt? In this particular recipe, there is none. So that. Influence was by a few uh, brewers down here that that over at Rip Current making some great, really like clear almost beers, and mm-hmm. they look suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, I've I've known Paul at Rip Current for uh, for quite a while. He's a great guy and a great brewer, so I have no doubt that he's making some great beers. Yeah, they've been a great uh, help. I actually just opened my own brewing company, so. <laughs> Ah, what's your brewing company called? Escondido Brewing Company. Right around the corner from Stone? Do you going to try and take them on? We're close. We're close, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're the smallest brewery in San Diego, and that's something to say. We're a one-barrel system, so... Ah, one-barrel. You're going ultra-nano. Yes. I've turned the hobby into a little bit of a side job, so... <laughs> Don't worry. I, th- I think in this day and age, it's uh, it seems almost expected that everybody has a side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. 
So we've got the rules on malt there. You know, the the less of it, the better. You love these kind of new fruit forward hops, with a lot of oils. When you're looking at getting those hops into the kettle for your IPA, do you particularly favor like late editions, or are you trying to go for something that's more balanced across the the bitterness slash addition spectrum, or are you really just like? jam everything in at the last minute and dissolve a bunch of oil well like again if you want me to speak to this particular recipe it was everything's mainly pushed the end have a little first wort and and 60 but everything else toward the end but other ipas no i might sprinkle in you know some 30 depends on what i'm trying to get out of it if i'm going for mainly aroma or you know get a more bittery beer i do do caramel and other you know malt in my other ipas but again in this particular one everything was just to be hop aroma forward as possible and really the thing i've developed i think more too was my dry hopping schedule how much I dry hop and when I dry hop. So I guess we'll get into that in a moment here in the recipe. But you obviously you won in the national homebrew competition. You got second place, a nice silver medal for your IPA. Was this your first time entering the national homebrew competition, or you entered in the past? Yeah, I entered uh, last year's competition and received third place for the regional and Texas region for uh, my 1888 stout. Why enter a competition like the national homebrew competition? This last medal was my 17th award over all the competitions I've entered over the years. I, it took me that long to think that I had a shot at nationals, I guess. I just thought I had to keep proving myself in, in more regional competitions. And in San Diego, that is highly competitive, too. And I also want to try different styles and not just win for IPAs. So. <laughs> well, and then it turns out you won for an IPA. So <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> Tell me a little bit, or let's actually just dive into the recipe itself. Give us the, the name, the story, and then let's walk through the ingredients. I called the beer Marshall Nose IPA, named after my dog who passed away during the brew of this beer. Ended up entering it in three competitions, one being the National Homebrew Competition, the other being America's Finest City Homebrew Competition here run by Quaff, and then the Thousand Oak Homebrew Competition up north in Orange County, and it placed in every competition. Oh, that must mean you're doing something right. Uh, of course, <laughs> you know that we, we love our dogs, and I think you were saying that your dog had a, a habit of being a brew assistant. Yeah, he was there almost from day one, and he always got his nose in my business making sure i was doing the right thing so i figured to name it after him. always good to have uh, memorials i think uh, says the guy who has i think a beer for every dog he has all right so let's let's actually talk the recipe then can you uh, walk us through like what size batch we're talking about here gravities strength and we'll get into the malt and the hops it's uh two row based at about 58 percent uh we got Pilsner in there around two, 22%, pills at 10%, some white wheat at 8%, and some acidulated malt at around 2%. Acidulated malt, are you using that for pH adjustment? Yeah, yeah. And I'm mashing uh, low, about 151. So really just trying to uh, get some um, head retention from the, the care pills and wheat and change pH for the acidulated and gives the little bit of background with the pills and I think it also adds to that really nice golden color that I was looking for. Okay. And then, so we got the mash temperatures. So we're going for a lower mash temperature to kind of really crisp up the beer, relatively straightforward malt bill. Now let's talk the hops because obviously those are the star of the show. Yeah. So I do a little first wort, a little uh, boil. I'm using mainly Columbus 
GTZ type ride. They get pushed all the way to the end. About the additions are only at 10 and 0. In those, I have Cascade, Citra, Columbus, and Mosaic, and uh, that, that's for both 10s and 0s. It's heavily on the Mosaic and Citra. Uh, less Columbus and Cascade. When we're looking at, you had talked earlier that you had sort of a real particular philosophy or a real long development history on dry hopping. What what do we got going on for that in this beer? Over time, I developed just talking with a lot of great brewers that have been winning awards like McNair and others. I just moved to like like a triple edition over different days, different timings, different amounts, just trying to hone in the what I like to call the Cascade effect of the dry hopping so that it it comes across when you're taking that drink of many layers of this these hops when you're talking okay so three separate charges and it's like i mean i assume like what okay so charge one goes in on day zero and then what we get a couple days later we add the second charge and leave the first charge in and then a couple days later add the third charge you have all three charges in the really about a 14 day total window and then breaking that with a like a seven and a, maybe a three or four day after that. And yeah, it, for this particular unit, everything was just in there. Um, I didn't have all the new equipment I have that uh, I could actually be moving some of that out of there, but that sometimes is a good idea to get some of the trub out between additions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, forget, I don't think we talked uh, east. What east did you one, use Pretty much, um, yeah, the one I've, chosen to go with but i've used in we 1056 uh quite a few times and had great results with it as well so so i have to ask you got back your score sheets from the competition were there any i know they're using the bubble sheets but were there any interesting uh, comments that you found from the judges anything that made you go huh, i didn't notice that <laughs> Funny before. you say that i should uh procure them here shortly i thought they were right i was mistaken i'll i'll just to summarize it, <laughs> the uh, judges had some very great feedback. They commented that they uh, wanted to brew this themselves and to give them the recipe immediately. And uh, the other comment was, uh, when are you going to open a brewery? And that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. So it sounds like you have uh, your initial supporters already lined up and ready to drink your beer. So now let me ask the follow-up question then is obviously I I always tend to think that brewers are never satisfied with the beer that they make. You know, there's always going to be something else that you want to fix or some other way that you want to take the beer. Is there a particular direction or anything that you want to tweak with um, this particular recipe as I you go forward? I want to um, make sure I dial in carbonation. I think that's really key in this style because of the aromatics. If you... Uh, almost if you overcarb, you're going to lose some of that really quickly, but it's better than undercarbing where you're not going to get some of those great aromics coming off right into your nose. So I believe that uh, that's a great thing I could uh, dial in a little more. It's hard to measure that uh, with homebrew equipment unless you just take drinks of it, which is the way I've been doing it. <laughs> All of this stuff is always going to be a fun exercise and, you know, how much can we get away with at the homebrew level versus how much control you have to have when you're at the pro level. 
Hey, what can I say? Congratulations on, on getting a second place in the national homebrew competition. Congratulations on getting your, your brewery up and running, your, your one barrel nano. And uh, again, that was Escondido Brewing, Brewing, right? We're, uh, not too far from stone and, uh, it's been a neat beginning. Well, good. We we hope that you have great success with that. And uh, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and, and walk us through your, your recipe. Uh, and congratulations again on the medal. Thank you guys so much. You betcha, Captain. Take care, buddy. All right. And we're back now. It's part two of our episode about IPAs and winners from the national homebrew competition and right now i have another winner on our line say hello hey guys good to be here so we have chase wilson here on the line from nashville and you were the big winner at and do you remember how many entries there were in the competition yeah uh i think it was 430 i think or around there so 430 you placed first place overall in the whole shebang but i think it's important for people to know that you placed what third in the first round i think in st louis right yeah i did yeah i got third and you know somehow got first overall so because i actually rebrewed it you know i mean i brewed the same recipe but maybe it was like fresher or something the second time off or i'm not sure well we think that's an important thing but first real quick why don't you tell us how you got involved in brewing yeah sure so it's funny actually the first time I ever brewed was actually in high school. Um, <laughs> well, we're not telling anybody. <laughs> me and a buddy realized that, you know, we, we actually couldn't couldn't buy beer ourselves, so we decided to make it. I would tell our parents it was a science experiment. I think they knew what we were doing, but they went along with it and thought it was kind of cool. But anyway, so we brewed a few batches then, and, you know, they were terrible, as, you know, most first batches are. But, you know, we really enjoyed the process and all that. You know, I just kind of fell in love with the art of fermentation and the fact that you could kind of make beer at home which is this like magical beverage you know at the time you know long story short ended up not really doing it in college at all but getting back into it about senior year of college got a homebrew kit again you know around christmas time you know i was drinking a lot of craft beer then kind of experimenting going to different bars and trying new things and i kind of fell in love with you know all sorts of you know the variety of craft beer out there but especially ipa it's just like the uniqueness and just like you know, because I never had anything like that before. So that's the beer that I really focused on brewing-wise. I think my first beer I ever made was an IPA. And, you know, I've done a lot of different other beers as well. But that's that's the focus, just so many different flavors and things like that you can get out of these hops. And so, you know, I brewed, you know, every few weeks, you know, starting a few years ago. And entered some competitions along the way. I never really uh, done this well before. So pretty happy about it. Well, I would be pretty stoked. Do you remember what the first batch of beer was that you brewed all the way back in high school? Like, what style? It was an ale. You know, at that time, I didn't appreciate kind of craft beer at all. You know, I was we were drinking Bud Light and all that. Uh, so I think we just bought like a malt extract kit, pre-hopped malt extract. Didn't even buy fresh hops or anything. Pretty sure we dumped about a pound of sh- sugar in there. <laughs> it was rough, but, you know, it was a hit at the parties and everything. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, at that age, you're not so much about the nuance as it's cold and wet and hey. Exactly. Yeah. It was the novelty of, of it all. And, you know, it wasn't until I really turned 21 and started going to craft beer bars and things like that that I, I realized that there's a lot of better beer out there. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been doing that now for, for about three or four years. You have obviously a lot of time invested in IPA, and you said it's one of your favorite styles and you love playing around with it. Do you 
Do you have particular rules in your mind for what makes a good IPA? Yeah, sure. So IPAs, there's, there's so many varieties of them. Like a lot of people you talk to, it's like, oh, I don't like IPAs, they're bitter. It's like, that's not true at all, in my opinion. Because like you have, you know, the West Coast style, you got the New England style, and you got everything in between. I mean, in my opinion, I, I'm not a big bitterness guy. Like, I don't like to drink an IPA where it's going to, like, sit on your tongue for a few minutes after you drink it. What I think is a good IPA is, is going to be one that has, like, that awesome, that fresh kind of hop flavor and aroma. You know, from the minute you open the bottle or the can or, you know, pour it in a glass, you just, it hits you. And then you drink it, you, you feel the flavor and all that, but there's no bitterness. Hop bursting, a lot of late additions, I think. On the beer that got first place, I did first wort, a little bit at first wort, and then everything else was 15 minutes or below. So really not a ton of, of bitterness there, but a ton of like flavor and aroma. So you're going for maximal oil extraction then? Exactly. You know, hops, of course, and IPA are the, the main part, but also, I mean, you got to think about the malt bill. The water is actually, I think, really key in, in this beer. Um, I actually started, you know, my first 50 or 60 batches or so, I didn't really think about water until i actually went to a local brewery in nashville bearded iris and they make one of my favorite ipas and i actually got to meet with the brewer he started telling me about like one of the keys to their beer is the water and like you know adding like calcium chloride and things like that to kind of get that that you know that crisp kind of mouthfeel because i you have the hops on one end but i think the mouthfeel is key in the easy drinkingness of an ipa you could drink like a really good seven percent ipa or so it's not going to feel like a 7% IPA like you know I think you should be able to just drink it easily and and so that plays into the malt as well I, I don't use any caramel or crystal malt it's usually like oats wheat two row to Munich things like that you know has a little bit of you know malt character but but nothing that's gonna take away from the hops or anything like that and then the yeast is key you know it's, it's key too just a just a good ale yeast I actually used uh, for my you know first place beer I used Denny's favorite yeast so I think you'd be happy to hear that. And I'd, I'd actually used it on a few IPAs before. I just think it's a, that's a great all-around yeast. I'm not, I'm not even, you know, Denny's not paying me to promote this at all. I think it's a great yeast for IPAs. That, just any good good ale yeast should do the trick. That'll leave, leave it dry, but not, not too dry. I like to mash around uh, 153 or so just to keep it keep a little body in there, but, you know, not too much. So it sounds like in terms of preference, you're not old school East Coast and you're not old school West Coast. You're running sort of a middle ground. So we're talking the West Coast approach of mostly focusing on pale malt and a little character malt with a little New England touch with the oats. And then that very modern approach of I just want hot flavor and aroma. I want all of those oils into the kettle. So a lot of late additions. Yeah, sure. Just, yeah, I guess best of both worlds kind of thing. And then, of course, minus the old caramel that was everywhere in the past. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mess with that except for, that's only for, for darker beer. <laughs> All right. Well, so now you've been brewing out of college for a couple of years, you know, having some fun. What made you decide to enter the homebrew competition? I love, I'm a competitive person by nature. I enjoy that aspect of competitions and I kind of enjoy you know, the judging and kind of getting feedback. So I, I, I usually enter, if I have a good beer that I think is decent and it's fresh, I, I usually try to enter a competition, um, especially if there's one near me that I could just drop it off. So I've actually entered the National Homebrew Competition for the past three years. Uh, never even got past the first round in the previous two years. 
and, and the reason I entered it is because, you know, it's the biggest and, you know, you're up against the best brewer. So, and I, you know, I, I've been reading, you know, Domergy, you know, every, you know, for the past few years and, you know, I always read the winning recipes and just get inspired by that. And I always dreamed of getting in there. So it's really cool. I actually got my copy yesterday and it's really cool to see my, my picture in there and the recipe, but yeah, so I entered the competition, uh, actually put four beers in, but actually two made the finals. My, um, let's see, it was a, it was an amber, amber, a Czech amber lager, I guess is the correct, style, the correct style. Uh, that actually got first in the region, but didn't place in the finals, which is kind of funny. You know, this beer, the IPA got third and, you know, I, I rebrew that one. I didn't rebrew the lager. So I think that's probably why freshness aspect of it, but yeah, so that's, that's the reason I entered, you know, the, the competitive aspect of it and, you know, the potential to win a medal is always exciting. Glory, always glory. Yeah. Now you said you rebrewed the beer. How old was the beer when it got judged in the second round? Uh, it was super fresh, so I bottle conditioned. So, you know, I think I literally bottled it about a week before I mailed it in. So it was still carbonating and, you know, on the way to the tournament. <laughs> um, this beer has extra fine carbonation from agitation. Exactly. So yeah, it was a kind of a win-win there. And actually I almost, I had to do two day shipping. I spent $60 to send it up there because I was out of town and came back and I only had two days to ship it in. So I had to like, you know, send it in the air and everything to get it to Minnesota in time. I think it got there literally in the last night possible. So I was thankful, <laughs> thankful it got up there in time and didn't break or anything. So it was, it was super fresh when it got, when it got judged. It's probably two to three weeks old. I would, you know, maybe three weeks old, I guess, by the time the competition, which I think is key. Well, I was going to say, I think for certain styles, particularly IPA, freshness is so key to them that if you're not rebrewing for the second round, well, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> exactly. You want it to be the best it can be. Yeah, because the final round is like three or four months after the original. You definitely need to rebrew an IPA. I honestly think I should have rebrewed the lager looking back on it because that beer was like six or seven months old. I mean, you know, lager should store long term better, but I think any beer over three to four months old, no matter what it is, is going to be a little lackluster. All right. Well, so now let's talk the actual recipe. This award winner, does the beer have a name? So it's called Sunsphere IPA, and it's named after this kind of monument in the uh, the town where I went to college, uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. The World's Fair was actually in Knoxville in 1982, and they built this kind of structure called the Sunsphere, you know, in honor of the World's Fair. And it's just kind of, you know, I went to school there for you know, four years of undergrad and one year of grad school and just kind of always saw it on the way to class and you know, I thought I thought this beer that I brewed had a, this awesome kind of deep orange color and so I wanted to honor my school in the city of Knoxville and name it. Okay well let's get into the details. Can you walk us through the ingredients that you used for this particular beer? So it's a five gallon batch five and a half pounds of Maris Otter uh, which is 45% of the malt bill. 2.75 pounds of two row which is 22% of the bill pound and a half of flaked oats, 12% of the bill, a pound of wheat malt, 8%, a pound of Munich, 8%, and a half pound of victory. It's a little complicated malt bill, but I think each one of those malts adds something to the beer. Like I, I'm not a fan of overcomplicated malt bills, but I think if you have, you know, the right idea in mind and like what you want each malt to do, I think it works. Well, so it sounds like you have a lot of middle body malt builders, you know, like with the Munich and the victory, well, and then the Maris Otter, but also some th some things to undercut the malt character, like Turo and wheat for a little sweetness. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's some little dark malt, little malty malt in there, but 
it's I don't think it takes away from the hops at all. You know, it just adds a little bit more kind of character to it. Okay, and I think you said earlier that you had mashed at one fifty three or so. I did, yeah. So I, I mean, I batch, I, I batch fards in like a Gatorade cooler on my back deck. So like, it's not consistent one fifty three, but like, you know, that's where I started, and it probably ended like one fifty or so. Okay, and then let's get to the magical part: the hops. What do we got? So I use three different hops: classics, mosaic, and citra were two of them, and then Eureka was the third which is a newer hop. So when I originally designed the recipe, I mean, I'd brewed with both Mosaic and Citra before, and I've had so many beers that have them in it. And I just know that's a killer combo. You know, it's going to make a good beer. Um, but I wanted to be a little unique and just throw a different hop in there. And then I found, heard of this new hop, about eight ounces of it from Farmhouse Brewing, uh, this Eureka hop. And just thought when combined with Mosaic and Citra, I added like a, you know, a nice little backbone to the fruitiness of those. It added a little bit more tininess a little more earthy kind of character to it okay and, and for the listeners eureka was the hop formerly known as experimental pine fruit exactly yeah which is a really awesome name kind of wish they would have kept it like that <laughs> yeah so experimental pine fruit but yeah exactly so it added some more piney character along with a little fruitiness so I, I thought it went really well with these mosaic and citra but i did a half ounce of mosaic at first warp you know, kind of get that backbone, the little bitterness backbone, but not a ton. An ounce of mosaic at 15 minutes, an ounce of citra at 10, an ounce of eureka at five, an ounce of citra at flame out. And then I cooled it down to 120 degrees and I whirlpooled for 25 minutes, an ounce each of citra, mosaic, and eureka. And then I dry hopped two ounces of eureka. And three ounces of mosaic. And how long did you dry hop for? Uh, seven days. Okay, so one charge, seven days. Yeah, the the recipe that got posted to Zymergy was a little off. For anyone who read my recipe in there, the they say I had two editions of dry hops. This is like one and two. I think the first edition is actually my whirlpool hops. So I, I don't know. There's a little, I guess, confusion there. Yeah, just one. So one charge of dry hops for seven days. I uh, fermented for 21 days. I put them in at like day 14. Okay, so let me ask. The Whirlpool, you said you cooled down to 120 degrees. Do you find that going down to 120 as opposed to, say, 170, 190 makes a difference for you and your IPA? Good question. Um, so I'm still figuring that out. The beer, so I my goal was 170, actually, but I have a really efficient wort chiller. And I literally like kind of looked down and my thermometer was already at like 120. So, cause the batch that got third in the region, I did at 170. So I don't know if that's saying anything. So, you know, I brewed the same beer, one at 170, one at 120. The 170 got third in the region while the 120 got first. So in the nation. So, you know, maybe that's kind of the result of the experiment right there. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think it adds less bitterness, but you still get a ton of flavor from it. I think at 170, you're still getting a little bit of bitterness. 120, you're, you're not getting much. But I definitely, I definitely, I'd rather do it below 170 or below as opposed to throwing them in a flame out because, you know, then it's in a 210 for another 20 minutes. And it's like, that's just going to counteract all your 15 minute and below hops because they're pretty much sitting in boiling and, you know, melting off all those awesome oils and stuff. So I think you definitely got to get below like 180 or 170 to retain that awesome flavor and not, not extract a ton of bitterness. 
All right. And then we know that you said you fermented with Danny's favorite, uh, the Y-East 14, uh, 1450. You'd think I'd have that memorized by now. And for water treatment, you did calcium chloride, right? Yeah, I did. And so, yeah, and I used two packs of Denny's. I didn't use a starter. I just don't have the patience for starters, honestly. <laughs> so I used two packs of Denny's and it worked out great. And I used my Nashville tap water. I've never actually had it tested. So I've just kind of through trial and error, kind of figured out which salts work with it. But I added 10 grams of calcium chloride, five grams of baking soda, and three grams of gypsum. I could not tell you what that did to the water, but I, it made a good beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Science schmience. The beer yeah. was great. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so. All right. So now we get the beer into competition, and you win, and you get snazzy medals and whatnot. But brewers being brewers were never satisfied. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you think you're going to change about the Sunsphere going forward? Good question. Like, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Brewers are never satisfi- satisfied. Like even, even if I have a beer that wins a competition, I need to try to tweak something. But honestly, if I rebrew this beer, I would probably just do it the same. I may try to get the Whirlpool temperature up back to 170 because in my opinion, in my opinion, the beer wasn't, I, I wanted a little bit more bitterness, even though, I mean, I guess, you know, it worked out well, <laughs> but I wanted a little bit more bitterness. I might just bump it back up to like 170 on the Whirlpool, but I think I would, you know, keep the the hops the same, the the malts the same. I mean, it's not a lot I would really change. Well, awesome. So, well, there you go. You're, yeah. you're close to satisfied, but not quite. Yeah, 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 exactly. But you're never, you're never all, you're never all the way there, though. Never. The day you stop tweaking is the day you stop brewing. Well, hey, thank you, Chase, for taking the time to talk to us about your recipe, and congratulations on your win in the category sponsored by Experimental Brewing. Enjoy the prizes, and I hope you have a great day. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And, yeah, and I, I love y'all's book, Experimental Brewing. I actually brewed a uh, pineapple coconut beer a few months ago, and I used you know some of your ratios from the book. So I appreciate all the stuff y'all put out. <laughs> well, hey, thanks, man. That was Chase Wilson from Nashville with the Sunsphere IPA, and he joined us along with Ketchin Smith of Escondido Brewing with his Marshall Nose IPA, two winners from the National Homebrew Competition. So thank you everyone for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope you enjoyed this exploration of the unstoppable IPA. Remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Reddit, on just about every homebrew forum known out there to mankind and some only known to angels. Don't forget you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts, click the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is Axel's Angels and the Desi Strong Foundation funding the fight against pediatric cancer. So until next time, remember, the brew is out there.